Well, hey, have you uh, heard people say before, I know you have, that uh, that's a really great idea in theory, but uh, maybe not so much in practice? There are certainly uh, some things in life that uh, I really like the idea of, but the, when I've actually practiced those things, uh, you know, maybe they haven't lived up to expectations. I've got uh, several friends who are out hunting this weekend, and uh, I talked a little bit with them this week. It just happened to a couple different folks on a couple different occasions, and they said, oh, yeah, we're going to go hunting, and this is where we go. And, and I asked them, well, do you camp while you hunt? And uh, I got a couple different responses, and one, you know, these hunters, sometimes they get sort of defensive, and when they say, well, no, but you have to understand this hotel we're staying in is very rustic. They cater to hunters, and I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm right there with you, buddy. I mean, I, you know, I love the idea of camping, right? I, I picture myself in the beautiful scenery looking at mountains. Maybe there's a stream, you know, rushing by, and the sun is setting, and I'm warming myself by a campfire surrounded by friends and family who care for me. And maybe it looks something like this, you know, that, that's the image I have in my head when I think about camping. I, I, I camp quite a bit as a youth pastor, and in fact, every year we'd take a group of students to, to Mexico, and we'd build a house, and we'd camp while we were, were doing that process. The very first trip I took with these students, we went, and we, we practiced setting up all the tents in the camp uh, site beforehand because I just thought, man, we don't want to spend like 16 hours setting up camp. And so we practiced that, and we got there, and we, we set up camp. And of course, you know, it took way longer and the actual, you know, camping than it did when we practiced. Things just didn't go right. And that night it rained and poured, and, and it, everything was soaked. And so we spent the next day, you know, trying to negotiate with a Tijuana uh, laundromat about the price and getting stuff dry. And it was just, you know, my experience when I've camped, it looks more like this. That's sort of how it goes. It's just close. Let's just get close enough. You know, let's just get close enough. I've got a couple daughters, and, and recently they've been hounding me for a dog. They want a pet. You know, they want a dog. And, and I can understand that, a boy and their dog, or in this case, a, a little girl and her dog. I'm sure that's similar. And, you know, you got to have a dog to love. And I know that in my daughter's heads, they're thinking, this will be a wonderful experience and the beautiful little pet. And, and I know many of you have dogs that you love like your children or more than your children or whatever the case might be. And, and that's awesome. And I know in my daughter's heads that, you know, having a dog, it looks like this. They're cute and cuddly and, you know, they bows and this will be wonderful. Uh, I know lots of folks with dogs. In fact, I grew up on 40 acres. We had all kinds of animals. My experience raising animals, having pets, having all kinds of different animals, it, it's usually more like this picture than the previous picture. You know, those are the stories I hear. My dog got into this, and then he broke that, and now I have to replace this. And, I, you know, I love the idea of owning a pet, it, but then, you know, there's old yeller. And so it's a whole different deal. Uh, or how about owning a boat? Maybe you thought, man, I'd love to own a boat and go out. My, my wife, she loves the water, and I can just picture us on the boat, and she'd be doing tricks like this, and, the, you know, just it would be awesome. You know, I can just imagine that. The sun would be shining. We'd spend days on the, all these extra days we have on the lake, just, you know, surrounded by God's creation. It would be wonderful. My parents had a boat, and I remember my experience with boats, at least with my parents' boat, uh, more closely resembling this than anything else. I don't remember an occasion when we took that boat out where it started on the first try. 
You know, there, were, there was generally hours of waiting and trying to fix something before we actually had the boat on water kind of out and about. And maybe you have some stuff in life where you really love the idea of it. You know, you can, you can just see where you want to be and where you want to end up, but you can't quite figure out, or maybe you've experienced in the past that the process to get there is kind of difficult and you're not sure how to navigate that process again to get from point A to point B where you want to finally finish at. You know, I, I suppose there's all kinds of different places and situations and circumstances in life where that might apply. And, and as we're in the middle of this three-week series that we're calling The Prophet, considering how we can be great stewards of the resources that God has given us, when we consider the resources that we have at our disposal, when we think about, you know, the finances that we have to figure out and navigate in life and manage in life, at least for me, it's one of those uh, places where I, I can see the place where I want to be. You know, maybe it's saving for retirement or getting out of debt or, or, or purchasing that new home or, or maybe it's giving to God and, and really being a resource and, and utilizing the resources he's given uh, me to manage in a way that impacts, uh, you know, my community and the world for the love of Christ. And I, I, I can see the end point. I really love the idea but man, the process can sometimes be difficult to navigate. It's hard to get started, to move from point A to point B. The good news is, is that God's word has a plan for us, and we can absolutely be great stewards of the resources that God has given us. We can begin in this process of moving from point A to point B. We can make being a steward of God's resources more than just something we love the idea about and we can actually start to live that out. I think as we continue in the section of Scripture of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll be in verses 6 through 9 this morning, I think this section of Scripture teaches us uh, two principles that we need to be aware of if we want to begin that process of moving from point A to point B and, and really being a tremendous steward of, of the resources God has given us. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, there's a page number on the back of the bulletin, that outline. You can fill in the blanks, jot down some notes as we go along. That would be tremendous. If you're using the YouVersion app, you can find Wallula under the event tab, and, and that should take you to this section of Scripture and that outline and, and even the small group questions that uh, you'll be thinking about this week in those uh, sermon-based small groups. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 9. This is what God's word says. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. All right, a couple principles that we have to keep in mind. I think the principle number one is that you reap what you sow. Remember this, 
Uh, our section of scripture begins with just those two words, and, and I suppose there's only a couple of reasons that Paul might begin this section of scripture with those words, remember this. It, it seems to indicate, I think uh, rightly so, that, hey, this audience has heard this stuff before. In fact, last week, we talked about the fact that, that Paul has sort of introduced this idea of giving to the, the mission in Jerusalem. That's the particular offering that Paul was talking about with the church in Corinth in this section of scripture, that, hey, we, you want to give to this work in Jerusalem, and they're, they're struggling, and so you've been excited about this, and we talked about how, you know, even chapter 8 has addressed this issue already, but certainly God's word talks about this principle of reaping what you sow, and if you go back to the Old Testament, you'll, you'll see that this principle is taught in, in a book like Proverbs chapter 11. In Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, uh, God's word says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. So if, you, if you're generous with the resources God's given, if you give uh, away, then you'll receive even more. If you're a little more selfish, uh, you'll come to poverty. That's the principle, that reaping and sowing principle is, is taught in, in the Old Testament in Proverbs chapter, chapter 11. Uh, Jesus taught this principle in, in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus taught the same principle in the uh, Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verse 38. He said, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so in the Old Testament, this principle of reaping and sowing is taught. In the, in, in the Gospels, Jesus taught this principle of reaping what you sow. It's taught, and, and Paul's taught this principle in other places. In other places in the New Testament, we'll read this same principle. For instance, in Galatians chapter 6, uh, verse 7, it says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap at the harvest if we do not give up. And so, you know, I think Paul begins this teaching and this first principle of reaping what you sow. As it's taught all the way through Scripture. So remember this. They've heard it before. In the Old Testament, that principle was taught. Jesus taught that same principle in the Gospels. And in other places in the New Testament, God's Word continues to teach this principle of reaping what you sow. So they've heard this, they've experienced it before. And, and it's also one of those principles that even if you were a person in the, in the Corinthian church that just wasn't ready to buy into this whole Christianity thing and, and following God's word, even if you're a person today who says, you know, I'm not sure if God's word is really what it claims to be, and I'm not sure if it really should be the standard that you all talk about as, as a guide to your life. Well, even if you're that person, then this principle of reaping what you sow, it's, it's still one of those things that we sort of intuitively know our experience, furthermore, teaches us that. We've learned it early on that you tend to reap 
what you sow. Uh, it reminds me of that book, Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. You know, the author makes this list of stuff like share everything, play fair, don't hit people, put things back where you found them, clean up your own mess. These sort of principles that are important in life. And, and maybe we learned in kindergarten, but what we really mean is we experienced those things by the time we got to kindergarten. You know, at a very young age, we learned this principle to be true, and I think this idea of reaping what you sow is one of those principles that we figure out over time that our experience teaches us. As followers of Jesus, the way more important thing is, is that God's word says so, and he says you'll experience this in your life. This is a principle that you ought to employ in your life because it's true, and it happens over and over again. Verse, uh, and, and 2 Corinthians chapter 9, that verse 6, that where that principle is taught, uh, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's laid out in this agrarian kind of uh, metaphor, right? And we understand this. This makes sense to us. If you, if you think about a farmer, you think about a gardener, even more simple than that, at your house, you have a garden, you know, the, the fewer tomato plants you plant, the fewer tomatoes you'll have the opportunity to harvest. The more more tomato plants you you plant, the more tomatoes you you have the opportunity to harvest. This makes a simple, practical sense to us. I was uh, several months ago. I was mowing my my yard, and I'm mowing around, and and I got over to the side of our house, and and I saw these giant what what must have sprung up overnight. I I really didn't notice them before, and man, they grew all of a the sudden. They were these what I assumed because I was in my yard, giant weeds. I mean, these things were like alien possessed weeds. They were thick as tree trunks. And I thought, man, I'm going to have to do something. I, I've got to get those out. I'm going to have to dig them out. I can't let them go. I'm lazy. I can't just mow over them. That's what I wanted to do. I'm afraid it will damage, ruin the mower. You know, I'm hearing my dad, don't just run over. Anyway, so I'm, I think I can't do that, and, and I'm going to have to figure this out. And so I, I had to finish mowing. I'm finished mowing, and I'm sweating. I'm kind of tired, and I think I'm thinking back a couple years ago when my daughters had planted these sunflower seeds on the side of our house. And now I'm tired, I'm at the end of the job, and I think, you know, I wonder if those might be sunflowers. I don't know much about this stuff, but sunflowers come back every year. They're, right? Yeah, so I, that's, that's what I'm considering to be true because, again, lazy didn't mow over them with the lawnmower. I want to go inside with the air conditioning. I bet these are sunflowers. And so I get all done, and I think I'm going to wait and see. And I let them go, and they keep growing, and they get, they grow really tall and really thick, and they're not blooming. And my wife is asking, what are those things on this? I'm, they're sunflowers, honey, just wait. I, you know, I believe this to be true, and so let, we have to let God do his thing, and it's going to be wonderful. And so I thought these were sunflowers, and eventually... On rare occasions, I am right, and we had sunflowers on the side of our house. Look at those. Oh, yeah, wonderful, aren't they? And eventually, I had to dig them out and move them away. Anyway, so we had sunflowers on the side of the house, and, and so those were really great. And, and a few seeds, you get a few sunflowers, right? Many of you, you go to this farm in Lawrence, right? And, and every year, you take pictures in the same farm with the same sunflowers, and it doesn't, nobody stopped to take pictures at my house with these sunflowers, but if you go to some place like this, you take pictures because many sunflower seeds equals many sunflowers, and it's wonderful. That's an easy principle for us to grasp. 
especially with things like sunflowers, the garden, you know, farmers, that makes sense. The more seeds you plant, the more harvest you might be able to reap. You reap what you sow. But I was wondering, is it really fair just to take that principle and kind of apply it in other areas of our life, especially in this area of resource management, in this area of finances? Is it really fair to say the more you sow, the more you give, the more you'll receive? Is that a fair kind of way to make use of that principle? So I looked in other places in God's Word, in the book of Malachi. It's the very last book in the Old Testament. You can, you can turn to Malachi chapter 3. It's at the very end of the Old Testament, just before you get to Matthew in the New Testament. You'll find Malachi almost at the very end of that book in chapter 3, verse 10. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. That's a pretty tremendous promise that God makes. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will, be, will not be room enough to store it. God makes a, a couple of really pretty uh, important and pretty amazing promises in that. He does a couple things, at least one thing that I'm not aware of God doing anywhere else in Scripture. The beginning of that verse in, in chapter 3, verse 10 of Malachi says, test me in this. You know, you read through the rest of Scripture, and God is pretty much, you know, students will be glad, anti-test. You know, he, he talks a lot about, hey, trust me. Trust me. I'm a big God. I'm creator, sustainer, redeemer God. I've made a way for you to have a relationship with me. Trust me. And it's sort of really the opposite of, hey, try this. Test this. See if it's true. See if I'm faithful. God just, he promises I'm faithful. He promises I'll be there. He promises I'll provide. He promises I'll redeem. He says, trust me. This is the only place in all of Scripture that I'm aware, and granted, I'm not that smart, but it's the only place that I'm aware where he says, try this out. Test me in this. And then he makes this really bold promise that if you give to my work, if you make sure there's food in my house, if you make sure my, the priest, the temple is provided for, if you make sure the poor are provided for, if you make sure you're giving to my mission, then I'm going to bless you and the, your storerooms will overflow. There'll be more blessings than you can imagine. I mean, that's really the promise. Now, I, I believe this absolutely to be true. I've seen it play out in my life. In all kinds of different ways. I've seen it play out in all kinds of disciples and followers of Jesus in their lives in all kinds of different ways. And I, I, so I believe this absolutely to be true. I also believe that sometimes we misuse this verse because we kind of limit ourselves. 
And we think, well, okay, if we give to God's work, then he's going to bless us. And if we, if we give out of the resources he's provided us, if we, just, if we just think of it in terms of dollars, if we give $10, then surely he's going to give back to me and, and like, you know. He's going to give me not only those $10, but $10 more dollars or $50 more dollars or whatever. And, and man, just what a, what a limit we place on God when we think of blessings only in those terms. When we consider the ways that he takes care of us and provides for us and blesses us, when we limit that work only to material things, when we limit that blessing only to stuff, man, we are really kind of putting God, this big, big creator, sustainer, redeemer God, in a little bitty box. And I don't think that we want to do that, first of all. And I I don't think that's the principle that's being taught. In fact, when you consider just Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, and it talks about the storerooms overflowing and make sure there's enough food in my house, the principle, we'll see this taught back in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 as well. Hey, when you give to God's work, he's going to make sure that you're able to do what? Share the love of Jesus in bigger and bigger and bigger ways. Not necessarily that you'll be able to grow your checking account in bigger ways. And bigger and bigger ways. Maybe sometimes that's the way it works out so that we can continue to resource his mission for him so we can continue to give to his work. And so sometimes that's absolutely what happens. But man, we don't want to limit God to only those kinds of blessings. This, this idea is taught again in, in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 25 to 33. Just write those verses down, would you? Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 33. Go back this week and read these verses, and you're going to recognize the verses probably. You know, it's, in the, it's on, in the Sermon on the Mountain. Jesus is talking about not worrying about, you know, all the stuff that life throws at us. And sometimes we worry about being able to care for ourselves and our family and our loved ones. And, and he said, hey, if I take care of the flowers in the field, if I clothe them, for sure I'm going to clothe you. He said, if I feed the birds of the air, for sure I'm going to feed you. I'm going to provide for these things. I'm going to provide for you in bigger ways. And so Jesus taught the same idea that if you place God first in your life, then I'm going to make sure that your needs are met. Now, you know, I remember my mom telling me when I was a kid, hey, you know, sometimes you have to really evaluate. You have to figure out if what you think you need is what you really need, right? And that's still true today. You know, it's so easy for us to begin to sort of make our list of needs, and when we really evaluate that list, you know, too much of it is, I'd really like this. I'd re- I really want this. You know, and Jesus promises, though, that when we place him first in our life, he's going to take care of us, and he's going to provide those needs that we have. And so if this is true, If God promises to bless us in in bigger ways than we can imagine, if Jesus promises that when we place him first in our life, he's going to take care of us and provide for us, what keeps us from starting in that process of giving back to him? What keeps us from doing that? I I suppose there's any number of things. Sometimes, you know, we just have a bad taste in our mouth from maybe a previous church experience. You know, we just... We just have struggle with this idea of, of making sure, giving back to God and making sure that's going to really make a difference in our, our kingdom. I, I woke up one morning this week and 
kids were getting ready, and, and I, I clicked on the television as I was getting ready, and there was this TV preacher on uh, uh, speaking, and I have no idea who this guy is. I, I'm not sure, you know, it was just on a, the channel, it was left on last night or whatever, and he starts talking about uh, sewing, and I thought, man, that's what I'm talking about this Sunday. So I listened for a few minutes, like any good preacher, you know, maybe there's something I can steal here, you know, there's, I need a good story. So I'm listening, and he's talking about sewing, and he said, I think there's 100 businessmen listening who need to sew $1,000 in the name of their business. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And then he said, I think there's 1,000 families that are struggling financially that need to sew $1,000, and then your financial worries will be taken care of. You'll just sew this $1,000. And I thought, well, that's, that's interesting. And then he said, now you might consider where you want to sow this $1,000. And some of you are thinking that you ought to sow this $1,000 in your local church. Don't do that. You send this $1,000 to me, and God will bless you. And we sometimes just kind of have a bad taste in our mouth, right, from other church experiences. That's not what Malachi chapter 3 verse 10 teaches. You know, that's not what Matthew chapter 6 no, don't limit God, like this TV preacher was, of returning blessings in kind. No, you don't want to limit our God to, to just that. He promises to care for us, and he promises to provide. And sometimes, you know, blessings are going to look like that, and other times they won't. Some, we might have a bad taste in our mouth. Sometimes we're just, we're really, we're afraid. That process is difficult to navigate. And for some of us, hey, to give that, to give that first gift to God is, you know, we're going to have to be a, become a sacrificial giver right away. We've got we've to eliminate one thing, you know, maybe one of those ones that have made its way into our needs list. We've got to eliminate that in order to give to God's work. How are we going to do this? It's scary. Very few of us wake up in the morning wondering or worrying, you know, how can I give more to, to God's kingdom? You know, how can I give more to this uh, to this mission? How can I give more to this charity? You know, when we wake up worrying about money, we wake up worrying about how am I going to make rent? How am I going to pay the mortgage this month? How am I going to have enough for books or tuition? How am I going to be able to uh, pay for my kids, whatever? How am I going to be able to buy groceries this week? Those are the kinds of things we worry about. If you go back to Matthew 6, I'm serious, go back and read it and study it and pray about it this week and just really listen to what it teaches. Jesus turns that idea on its head. You know, you worry about how to place me first in your life in every area. And I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. Now, that, that sometimes that provision, by the way, comes in the way of making really wise choices. You know, it comes in the way of, of seeking godly counsel. It comes in the way of, of developing a plan, which, by the way, is sometimes why we don't start in this process at all of giving back, because we don't have a plan, which just makes the whole thing even more scary. And I guess that's why principle number two that is taught is all about finding that plan. You've heard it said before, this is like coaches like to say stuff like this, right? That failing to plan is planning to fail. Well, that's really the second principle that's being taught here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 
Verse 7 says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We need to have a plan. If we want to begin in this process, we have to have a plan. My, my son was uh, heading out a, a week or so ago to a football game with some of his, his sister and some of their friends, and, and they had to drive across town to a different high school to go to this football game. It was in, you know, state regionals or whatever, and my wife started to get worried as the time got closer. You know, she was concerned that Clayton would be able to find his way from our home to this other high school, which is a legitimate concern to have, Right? And so she's worried, and she asked Clayton, do you want us to drive you guys, and we'll pick you up? And of course, you know, they don't want to do that, right? And, and no, we don't want to do that. Are you sure you can find it? And he said, yeah, I think we can find it. And, and she's, she's worried about this. I said, Sherry, honey, they, they have four people in this car. They have four individual GPS devices at their disposal. They literally have a backup to the backup to the backup GPS device. Now, I get this because I'm terrible at directions, so I use my GPS, my phone, all the time for directions, but I also don't trust the robots. You know, I don't want them to take control of everything. And so whenever I call up an address on the GPS, right, I, I click that list button. I want to see the list. I want to see the plan. I have no idea if it's right, but I want to see the plan. I want to know that it, there's a legitimate plan in place. And sometimes when you read that plan, you know, your trip becomes way more scary than you thought because there are like 47 different turns that you have to take to get from point a to point b and you're wondering am i going to be able to figure this out in the middle when it wants to make, take me on 19 right turns in a row that aren't really right turns they're just merging into right turns am i going to be able to do that when i get to that spot can i follow the plan and so i get it that when we think about bigger things in our life like being great stewards, managing the resources that God has given us. And we say, okay, we need a plan. Let's go to God's word and let's figure out the plan. What does God say? We're worried that there's going to be like 49 different twists and turns that we have to take to live under God's plan in this area of our life. And then we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. And guys, here's the plan. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, there's a couple important ideas here, I think, to this very simple plan. Decide in your heart what you'll give. Be settled on that, because God loves a cheerful giver. The first thing is, is that there's simply an assumption that we're going to give. You know, what, what Paul doesn't say is everybody needs to decide whether or not you're going to participate in this process. You know, here's the deal. If you're a follower of Jesus, then Jesus saves you where you're at. He wants to grow you past where you're at. He wants you to become more and more like him. He wants you to participate in kingdom growth. And one of the ways we can participate in kingdom growth is by resourcing and managing our resources, the resources he's given us and so there's just this assumption that the church in Corinth is going to participate. There's an assumption that followers of Jesus are going to participate. And then it says, it lays out the plan. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. 
Now, there's just a couple things here, I, I guess. Uh, it, this decision that's made, it's, it's a decision that's made in the heart and mind. It's the whole person making this choice. Have you ever walked through the, the checkout line at the grocery store, and, and you know you don't, you, you don't need anything else, but then, you know, there's the, what, the, cook, the candy bar at the, you know, and you're like, oh, that looks great, and you buy that, that impulse buy. Some of us do that with big things, right? Some of us do that with little things, and we just make that impulse buy because we don't have a plan necessarily in place. Well, we don't want our generosity to be lived out only by impulses. Well, the Holy Spirit is living in us. We have a relationship with him. He's going to prompt us to give at different times that are maybe outside and beyond the plan we put in place, but we also don't want to limit our generosity to only those promptings, to only those impulse sorts of givings. And so we want to make a plan that involves the whole person because we want to be able to live with that plan. God loves a cheerful giver. You know, when you make a decision and you have a plan in place and you build that plan and then you execute that plan, very rarely in those situations when I formulated a plan, I've executed that plan, no matter the outcome of that plan, very rarely have I been like, I, I just totally messed that up. Very rarely am I totally disappointed with the process and what happened. You know, the same thing's true in this area. If we, if we go to God's word and we, we formulate and execute a great plan, then we're going to see how he honors that. And so go ahead and build your plan. We talked last week, if you go back to chapter 8 and the, the churches in Macedonia who gave already to this mission in Jerusalem, they gave what they were able. They gave a proportion, a, a percentage of what they had. They, they figured it out. They laid it out. And so God wants us to be proportional in our giving. In Genesis chapter 28, just write these verses down and go look at them this week. Genesis chapter 28, verses 20 to 22, it's talking about Abraham and Jacob and the fact that they promised that everything God gave them, they were going to give a tenth of what God had given them. If you hear in church the word tithe, that's all that word means. Tithe is a word that means a tenth. It's a percentage. And so all the way through scripture, people have been proportional givers. They've given a portion of what God has given to them. And a tenth is, is a, a good place to start in that thinking process. And so that's what we learn in Genesis chapter 28. And we saw that in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. But then you know, they, they continued to give, and they, they gave when Paul was there, and that's what Paul is writing here uh, so that the church in Corinth would be prepared to give as well. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, write those verses down. You can go look at them later. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. Paul just says, hey, be ready. Save up during the week, and then on Sunday, be ready to give. And so he, he lays out, I, don't, I not only want you to give a portion of what you have, whatever you have, give 10%. We learned in Genesis chapter 28, but in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, we read, hey, be consistent in this giving. So it's not only a whatever you give from, but it's a whenever you give from. And so we want to be proportional. We want to give a portion of what God's given us, and we want to be consistent in our giving. And then you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and you saw that they gave even more than they were able. They were sacrificial in, at times in their giving. And that's really, if we're building a plan, if we want to build a godly plan of managing our resources and giving back to his work, then that's the kind of giver that we want to aim 
to be. We want to give a portion of what God has given. You know, figure that, figure that percentage out. That's an easy way to think about it as any. We want to be consistent in that giving. Have a plan as to when you're going to give back to God. And then build into that plan opportunities to give uh, back even more than, than we're able to on a consistent basis. Be willing to be sacrificial. Maybe that's our walk to the manger offering at Christmas that's coming up or giving to the Embrace campaign. Those are examples of that kind of sacrificial sort of giving. And look what happens. Look at the promise in verse 8 and 9. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it's written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, right, God is going to be consistent in caring for you and providing for you. You'll have all that you need and you will be able to abound in every good work. We'll be able to continue to share the love of Jesus well because we've got this plan in place to give a portion, to give consistently, to give sacrificially. And ultimately, that plan, we get to reap a harvest of, of righteousness forever and ever. We get to reap that relationship of not only us being in the presence of God, but others being in the presence of God, you know, maybe due to that generosity that we've practiced in our life. You know, that's a simple plan. But sometimes even with simple plans, it's hard to get that first step taken. It's hard to, to start out, to, to just dive off the diving board, right, to get started. And I, I totally understand that. And if you're in a place where you've been struggling with this, with, with trying to figure out, okay, you know, there's just something that I, I haven't been able to take that first step and, and being the kind of, of steward that God wants me to be of his resources, then we want to help you to be able to do that better. And so this week, if you're in a place where you, you think, I, I want to get started, I want to do that, I've got to figure out how to do that, we'd like you to, I would challenge you to, to, to accept this challenge. Over the next three months, put Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 to work. Over the next three months, decide, I, I'm going to give back to God's work. And, and let's see what God does in your life. Let's see, let's, let's, let's accept God's word at face value and let's test him in this. And so over the next three months, I think that's a, a long enough period of time for us to sort of see if it's, it's working or not. You can make whatever decision you want. Maybe it's a, a year you need to, to really commit to doing this or, or what have you. But I think three months, commit to give for those three months and, and get started in that process. And if you need to begin for the very first time in this process to take that first step, we want to help you get started. If, if you'll write on that long white communication card just the word process, I want to send you a, a packet of information this week, okay? It's going to have a book in it. I'm going to send you some that those 10 reasons to give that we talk about in Closer Look. It's going to have some information about those so you can walk through Scripture and see what God's Word says about giving. You can look at other resources and see how, what that says about, about giving to God's work, and there'll be some other materials in that packet. And I want to send that to you this week so that you can begin to accept that challenge and live it out in your life. So just write the word process on that long white communication card. We're going we're to get uh, you started on that road and, and uh, we'll see what God does 
in our lives over the course of that. You know, there's, there's things in my life that I, I like the idea of, but the process really wasn't worth it. Uh, I've got three kids. I've been in the room for, for that many births, right? And uh, I've heard people tell me before that they've said, you know, having a baby is a beautiful process. It's natural. It's wonderful. It's probably natural. It's not beautiful, right? It's, it's just kind of, it's not kind of, it's gross. It's gross. But then you end up with this, this little person who's an actual little human being. And eventually they let you walk out of that hospital room with this little person. And they start to grow. And they start to develop a personality. And, and you're trying to do everything you can to protect them and to help them learn and, and to nurture them and all that stuff that, you know, you're supposed to do as parents. And you see those kids grow. And, and now those three little people that they let me walk out of a my wife and I walk out of a hospital room with, you know, they're 13 and 15 and 17 years old. And you know, when you look at, at those three little people, you see people that are full of potential and full of ability. And they have so much room in their life to make this huge impact for Jesus on others in their community and in their, their circles of friends. They have so much potential to be used by God in a powerful way. You know what the difference is between those three little people that they let me carry out of a hospital room and you? None, other than I didn't carry you out of a hospital room. I guess that's it. Right? So much potential in every one of us to impact the world that surrounds us for Jesus we could begin to take those steps if we could begin to just get involved in the process we can do that you can do that today pray with me father god we love you and we thank you so much for loving us and and taking care of us we we're grateful that you're a god who you know in all areas you know this is no different the idea of managing the resources you've given me god i've messed that up so much in the past i've 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 messed it up time and time again, and, and you're a God who is gracious and loves me and, and calls me back into that process and says, get started again, get, get headed in the right direction again. I'm grateful that you're that kind of God, and, and I know there's folks here today that maybe are feeling that way, and, and uh, I, I, would just, I would just pray that you would make very known to them right now how, how absolutely much you love them, I, how, how much you love them, how you love them in a big, big way how you want to grow them beyond where they are today, how you want to make a difference in their life. God, help us all to, to get started in, in that process, to, to know you more, to become more like you. We love you and we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.